Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Thank you so much for coming. Well, let's do this one, and I'm just thankful to God that he's been able to come and be with us. So, uh, thank you, Trevor. Yeah. Did you need to be reminded that I've been here before? That's a bit sad, really. Don't, have you forgotten me already? How do you, how do you put this thing up? <laughs> there we go. That's it. Now turn the handle. Excellent. Now, it's great to be back with you, Beacon Church. Sadly, Rachel can't be with us today. But isn't this a wonderful day? Have you been looking forward to this day, church? Because uh, you should be really enthusiastic about what God is doing here today. Two new elders. I tell you, this is going to be the beginning of something very special for Beacon Church. I really believe it. It's been a real pleasure to get to know your leaders over the last year and to be here once before. And who knows, if you don't forget me again, I might even come back. (laughs) Now, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read from there. From verse 7. Looking around the room as you're always looking through your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones. Okay. All found it? Yeah? Right. And it says, remember your leaders. Be hard to forget Owen, wouldn't it? But there's a sense in which the Lord says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Amen? Amen. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever. 
Amen. Okay, that's a great chapter of the Bible. In fact, that chapter of Hebrews contains perhaps one of the most famous verses in the whole book of Hebrews, maybe in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's, when you hear that verse, when you hear that phrase, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, doesn't something stir inside you? Isn't there just a little leap of the Holy Spirit within you as you begin to hear that truth? We live in a world where everything seems to be up for grabs. Everything is changing. There seems to be nothing constant about the political situation, about the world around us, about the economic situation. There seems to be never-ending change and upheaval wherever we go. But one thing we can be sure of, Jesus never changes. Amen? Yeah, in a Pentecostal church, you'd all be standing on your chairs by now, (laughs) clapping... Saying hallelujah, wouldn't you? Say hallelujah for me. Give me some encouragement. Hallelujah. That's it. (laughs) Jesus is the same. Yesterday, when out of love for every one of us in this room, he hung on that cross and died that our sins might be forgiven. He carried our burden of guilt away. Jesus is the same today. Where now he reigns in heaven, seated at the right hand of majesty, interceding for you and me. Isn't that wonderful? We offered up a prayer this morning. Jesus is praying for us even now. And there he is, reigning, building his church across the nations. And Jesus Christ will be the same tomorrow and forever. When out of love for us, he is coming again to gather us to himself and lead us into a new heaven and a new earth where we will be with him and together forever. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And brothers and sisters, every one of us here, we should be building our lives on that truth. Amen? There is a core of absolute certainty in the centre of your life that Jesus Christ will never change. His attitude towards you will never change. Everything is good. But here today, I thought it would be good for us to consider the context of that famous verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is... Before it becomes Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. And after it comes Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. You're a pretty smart lot of cookies. <laughs> and those two verses, well, that verse is interspersed between them, are about one thing. They're about leadership. Verse 7 is a commendation of great and faithful church leaders who inspire us by their teaching, who inspire us by their lifestyle. And verse 9, which comes after that verse... It's about those who are bad leaders who bring false teaching and tend to lead their people astray. And this morning, as we're going to lay hands on your two new elders, upon Steve and upon Matt, as we celebrate the whole concept of leadership in the Church of Jesus Christ, I believe it's important that we remember why Jesus raises up leaders such as Steve and Matt to serve us in our communities, which is quite simple. They're raised up to keep us on track in our Christian lives, both in our doctrine and in our lifestyles. The Apostle Paul underlines why we are given leaders in Ephesians chapter 4. You probably know this off by heart, but I'll read it to you anyway. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And we could say, why? And Paul answers the question immediately, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. Who wants to be a mature Christian in this room? 
Okay, that's six of us, that's good news. <laughs> no longer infants tossed back and forth, blown here and there by the wind of teaching and schemes of men. And what Paul says there in Ephesians 4 ties in so well with Hebrews chapter 13, where the writer is telling us, here we are in a world of competing philosophies, competing religions, in a world full of different teachings and influences and ideas, in a world where even Christian teachers sometimes seem to come up with a new emphasis every year so that the latest book on their way of doing church can be bought and read and their TV programs can be watched. We need to be aware of one thing. Jesus never changes. Therefore, his gospel never changes. His word never changes. His will never changes. And therefore, what we are called to be as churches, his purpose for us, that never changes as well. Do you agree with that? We need to be faithful to true doctrine that never changes and the message that we preach should never change. And that's why it's so important. The step that every one of us in this room has taken, that we're all members of a good local church where we can submit ourselves to sound and solid Bible teaching from men and women whose lives we can see and know and what this passage teaches us and imitate. We should be looking at our leaders and say, yes, I want to live a life like his. Sometimes, you know, you pop into a Christian bookshop and you look along the shelves, you look along the rules, all the rows of books and you think, where, what about all this stuff about self-improvement? Where did it all come from? Where's the simple gospel of lifestyle, of faith and sacrifice that you read about in the Bible? I was flying back from South Africa in March and there's Oliver Tambo Airport in Johannesburg and South Africa is a very Christian country. Nominally, many people would say they are Christians. And so in the airport, there's a bookshop and I worked it out that about 10% of the bookshop was Christian books. And I looked along these long rows of Christian books being sold at the airport, which I celebrated. Wow, Christian books in the airport, this is wonderful. But I couldn't find one book about the church. They were all about what Jesus can do for you and how if you believe this, you'll prosper and you'll be healthy. But nothing about the church. But what Jesus wants us to do is to build a church. And that's why he gives us elders. That's why he gives us the gift of leadership. But it seems that many churches are abandoning some of these things and just going for self-improvement programs. Instead of preaching the word expository in a way that we built up every week in the word of God, just messages on themes about how you can improve yourself. Maybe this is the age that Paul foresaw when he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So I say, thank God for Hebrews chapter 13, which establishes us right back as to why God has given us leaders, which tell us the true marks of a follower of Jesus, what it should be both in the church and in the community around us. And in my view, Hebrews chapter 13 gives us three aspects of, why, of what solid Christian discipleship looks like and how it can be lived out by every member of the local church. Do you want to hear what those three things are? Or should I stop now and number two come on? No, we... we, Okay. (laughs) It's nice being number one, isn't it? I rather like that appellation. (laughs) Firstly, the writer to Hebrews tells us very clearly 
very unambiguously, every one of us needs to have respect for and a submissive attitude towards the teaching and encouragement of godly leaders. It's mentioned three times in this chapter. It comes up in verse 7, verse 17, verse 24. And so sad that many Christians in the world today can't live that out because they couldn't actually tell you who their leaders are because they haven't committed themselves to a local church. You know, I lived six months in the States just a few years back and kept many, meeting many people who called themselves Christians. If they saw you reading a Bible in a cafe, they'd come up and say, hi, I'm a Christian too. Say, which church do you go to? Oh, don't go to church, but I follow the God channel. I, you know, I follow this person, I follow that person, I subscribe to this, I subscribe to that. But we need to know who our leaders are and we need to be listening to what they're teaching us. Secondly, it says here, we need an awareness that the low leaders come And leaders go, the head of every church is always Jesus Christ. In the final analysis, submission to godly leadership is submission not to that person, but to Jesus. Someone said to me recently at Hope Church, (coughs) they came up to me and said, you know, Trevor, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. In fact, I don't know how I'd survive without you. And for a moment, I thought, ooh, and then the, suddenly I realised I've done my job very badly because no one should be depending for their survival on me. <laughs> I haven't done a very good job, that's what my thinking. Because all leadership, all ministry should lead to one thing for every person in the church, a total reliance on who? On Jesus. That's, no leader should be drawing people to themselves. They should always be leading people to rely totally upon Jesus. And that's why, though we honour our leaders, and we're going to honour two new leaders today, we must never rely on them. We constantly keep relying on Jesus. Because Jesus said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. There's a wonderful memorial to John Wesley in Westminster Abbey. And it says this, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. In other words, no leader is irreplaceable. Not even John Wesley. Not even, dare I say this, Owen Hilton. (laughs) Sharp intake of breath. Not even Steve. (laughs) Thirdly, this passage tells us that a sacrificial attitude of service should permeate the heart of every member of the church. Jesus has already told every one of us, if anyone would come after me, he should deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And for a lot of people who call themselves Christians, that very statement kicks up a lot of dust. They say, well, I've read the books in Oliver Tambo Airport. Jesus came for me. He came to make my life better. He came to give me health and prosperity and abundance and make me successful. I've read all those books by Joel Osteen and the others. Why? Why all this talk about denial? Why this talk about taking up a cross? Why this talk about sacrifice? I thought Jesus had done all the sacrifice necessary. Isn't that what they tell us at church? I thought Jesus was the one who denied himself, came down of heaven, took up his cross, and I thought I was simply here to say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and give me all the benefits of that statement. That's true, of course. We must never forget that Jesus' sacrifice was offered up once and for all. Our sins are forgiven. We are children of God if we put our faith in him. We're on our way to heaven 
And right here, right now, we can be confident he will never let us go. There's nothing more required to buy our forgiveness and to give us adoption as sons and daughters of God. But now that we have become children of God, Jesus calls us to follow his example. Do you understand that? He calls us to lay down our lives for one another, to lay down our lives for our neighbours around us, and to lay down our lives for his glory. And that's why this passage we've just read, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, talks about sacrifices that we are required to make that will please God. There's the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you've had a really bad hair week, right? And the last thing you feel like doing is celebrating. And there's a sacrifice involved as we lift up our voices and dance in the aisles. Not much dancing this morning. Maybe it'll come later, I'm not sure. There's a sacrifice of witness. Sometimes that urge to talk to somebody next to you on a plane or you know, at school. There's a sacrifice involved in stepping out and making yourself vulnerable. There's a sacrifice of compassionate service. There's a sacrifice of prayers. There's a sacrifice of sharing. And there's a sacrifice of obedience. And that's why Hebrews 13 teaches us we should have respect for and a submissive attitude towards leaders and an understanding that all such submission is actually submitting our lives to Jesus. And I want us to think about that before we lay hands on two new elders, what your attitude should be towards them. Each one of us should have respect for and a submissive attitude towards the teaching, the training, and the encouragement to serve of godly leaders. Or as verse 17 puts it, in much more emphatic terms than I would ever dare make. I'd be very nervous about making this statement in front of a church, but as it's in the Bible, I feel quite competent and confident to read it. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. So let's be honest for a minute, okay? How does that word, obey your leaders, settle with you? What do you think? Does it scare you a bit? Does it make you nervous? Do you think, oh, no, Trevor Payne's come. He's gone off on one now. This is getting a little bit silly. Obey Owen, obey Phil, obey Steve, obey Matt. Does it offend you in any way? You see, it shouldn't. Because the great commission that we celebrate in Matthew 28 tells us this. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, Jesus has told the disciples and everyone who comes after them with a role of leadership, pass on what I've told you and insist that they do it. How are you going to feel when people say, this is the word of God, let's do it? And I know that talk about obedience and submission gives many people in the church problems. Because we live in an anti-authoritarian society, right? Submission is not a very popular word these days. Obedience to any leader, particularly in the church, is seen as very suspicious. We hear a lot about human rights, but we hear very little about human responsibilities. And sadly, that attitude has permeated the church of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a discussion with someone at work or at school or at college or a friend and they said to you, I like Jesus, but I hate organised religion. You ever heard anyone say that? 
I hate organized religion. What they're actually saying when they say, I hate organized religion is, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what I think is best. I want to do what I like. I don't want anybody suggesting that my lifestyle might need correcting. I don't want any leadership. I don't want any oversight in my life. That's what they're rejecting. They're rejecting being part of the church. They just want their Jesus to helping them to live their lives. And it's not biblical. You see, according to the Bible, leadership is a gift to us. What we're celebrating this morning is two gifts to this church from heaven. But we now have people who come along to church, but they don't want to receive that gift. They don't want to be trained as disciples at all. Sometimes when I'm at Hope Church and visitors come along, we're quite fortunate, visitors most weeks in most of our congregations. But you can always see some of the new people who come in, particularly from other churches, looking around and they're going through a checklist of the church. Was it easy to park? Did I get a good welcome at the door? Was the worship band good? Was it up to Hillsong standards? Yes. Oh, definitely. (laughs) I'll show you my checklist later. You've got it all all going well so far. I parked out there. I'm not sure how I'm going to get out. That's the only problem. (laughs) Do I like the preaching? Was it short enough? Okay. uh, (laughs) We'll talk later. I told you to go yes, didn't I? (laughs) And was the coffee good? (laughs) You see... The individualism in our society almost gives an extra excuse to people in the church who prefer to do their own thing. It's no longer a case of, oh, here I am, what needs to be done? It's now more, here I am, can I tell you what I need? The Bible says, obey your leaders. And that conveys to me much more the sense of, what would you like me to do, rather than, what can you do for me? Now, listen carefully because you might be getting the wrong idea of what I'm saying here. It's not that leaders should ever demand from you obedience. That's not in the text. There's no room here for popes or archbishops or anything like that, no dictators. And I wasn't going to tell you this, but I decided to do so. Hebrews 13, verse 17, is a word to us, not to Owen and Phil and Steve and Matt. The word to us. It's a bit like Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5. Do you know what those words are? Wives, submit to your husbands. It's never for a husband to go in and say, have you read the Bible, wife? You submit to me. I'm your husband. Ephesians 5. Anybody who says that, God's going to rebuke them. In fact, God would actually say to anybody who says that, you need to listen here, man. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to your wife. Now, butt out. (laughs) And it's the same. Jesus is speaking to us as a church. He's not speaking to our leaders to demand obedience. He's saying to us, obey your leaders and make their life a joy. And then everything will be celebrated in this church and you will achieve everything I have for you. He's not speaking to leaders so they can go around saying, do you know what happened to me today? I became an elder. (laughs) Now, get your act together or I'll be on your case. God wants us to know this. 
He has designed order for his people. He has given properly ordained authority in his church for the benefit of us all. Verse 20 of this passage describes Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep, the great pastor. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, God gives all of us an absolutely incredible promise. He says this, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. That's an incredible promise. That's being fulfilled here, I believe, today. And it's fulfilled every time we lay hands on men who have made themselves and established themselves as faithful witnesses to Jesus. And leadership in the church is the fulfillment of that promise, or it should be. In John 21, Jesus calls Peter to be a shepherd. And Ephesians 4 and Hebrews 13 and other passages in the New Testament tell us that he's still calling men to that position of care as elders of the church. And the role of the pastor is to look after the sheep, not to rule them, not to dominate them, not to fulfill their own personal ambitions through the people that God has gathered around them, but to make sure that the sheep are well fed and well guided. That's what Jesus told Peter. Feed my sheep. Take care of them. And leadership is an important part of life. It's an important part of church life. But leaders in the church must always be shepherds after God's heart. And in perhaps one of the most ignored sayings of Jesus to his church, Jesus is emphatic about what eldership and leadership does not involve. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must, be, must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be slave first must be slave of all. Steve and Matt are about to confess their desire to be servants. Because Jesus has said, I don't want to see any lording over my people. I don't want to see any dominating of my sheep. I don't want to see any manipulation of my church. I want leaders after my own heart who are going to serve the people. Teach the word. Live it out and then live a life of faith which is worth imitating. That's the role of leadership. The requirements for us in Hebrews, the rest of the church are quite straightforward. Listen to the teaching you receive, put it into practice, and then imitate the servant leadership that's modelling something for you, and then care for those people. Care for your leaders so that that will be a joy to them. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders. That means praying for them, not just remembering them. Verse 17 says, obey your leaders, but this is in the context of sound teaching and false doctrine. It's not about your leader's personal preferences. So that now you've become an elder, you're not obliged to go around telling people who to marry or where to live. It's about sound doctrine. That's what we're to obey. It's not about hierarchical attitudes. It's not about heavy shepherding. It's about people serving us with the truth. And verse 24 says, greet your leaders, which sounds a bit strange, but it doesn't mean to say, hello, Owen, every Sunday. 
It means that you should know them. It means that you should be able to approach them easily. Because you can't follow a leader that you don't know. Because biblical leadership is all about relationship. That's why, in my view, a church of 3,000 doesn't work. You have to know people and be able to respond to them and have a relationship with them. So that when they stand up and say, this is my experience, here's what the word of God says, I'm struggling with this, let's embrace this together, let's do it. But you know that person's heart and you listen and you put it into practice. And what will be the greeting that the Hebrews will bring to their leaders? They will say the word, shalom. That's the greeting, which means peace. We bring peace to our leaders. Terry Virgo says, where leaders are allowed to lead and are honoured, there is usually a great blessing of God found. Yeah? You want a great blessing of God in Beacon Church? Honour your leaders. And it's obvious that the leader's main role here is keeping watch over the flock. Verse 17 tells us, they keep watch over you. And that says less about ministering to each member personally, like some private counsellor, or some private spiritual doctor, or some personal carer. These two new elders aren't there now to be your new nursemaids. It's about keeping watch over the church in doctrine and purpose and what we do as a community and how we live. They keep watch over you. To me, that has more the sense of a watchman on a city wall or a shepherd guarding the flock. And believe me, there is no point in having a watchman if when they sound the alarm, we don't take a blind bit of notice. If we ignore his voice when he cries out, when the guard gives a warning, especially when it's from the word of God, it's best that we listen. Christian leadership is not some domineering attitude into people's lives, and neither is it running around looking after everybody like some private carer. It's not an intrusion into people's lives. It's about guidance, it's about government, it's about encouragement, it's about teaching, and it's about example. And I believe that's where the bit about obedience really comes in. It would be a bit daft, wouldn't it? If you all sat there week after week and heard Owen open the word of God and then the others opening the word of God to you and then didn't take a blind bit of notice about what they're telling you the word of God says to do. The word of God says, obey your leaders. But I want you to notice one thing as I close. And it's this. And this is a really awesome challenge to anybody who is ambitious to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. And God says that's a godly ambition to want to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. The order in this passage, and I'm sure it's by design, I don't think it's by accident. In the order here, obedience of our leaders comes after imitation of our leaders. We can only do that if we're looking at something we want to imitate and know we should. So before anyone is encouraged to obey a leader, the letter speaks about being able to imitate your leaders in matters of faith and lifestyle. And I want to say to the guys who are becoming elders today and those who are already elders in this room, including myself, biblical leadership is as much about, more about, being a model than it is being a master. Do you understand that? That's why when it comes to the selection of leaders and elders, 
Character is by far the most important thing. When you read 1 Timothy, it's all about character. Here is the trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And I think the big lesson of this passage is very, very simple. There is no leadership. There is no leadership where there is no example. We're not laying hands on two people this morning so they can just say, yes, I'm a leader now. I start governing this church and telling people what to do. There is no leadership without example, and the main role of these two new guys is to join Owen and Phil in being an example to everybody else in this room. In the way they live, in their attitudes to Jesus, in their private life, in their prayer life, in every other way. Remember your leaders, it says here. Verse 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So that's the call. That's the job description. That's what we recognise in Matthew and Stephen this morning. We're not laying hands on someone or two guys to make them elders. We are recognising what God has already done in this, these men's lives. We don't appoint, we recognise. These two men are God's gifts to us as a church. And the gift he's given us is two people we can look at, recognise, follow, because we trust their integrity and we've seen it worked out in their lives. That's what this is all about. Matt and Stephen, if people can't consider your life and imitate your faith, don't expect them to follow you. And we are about to celebrate something very special that Jesus has given the gift to this church, leaders after his own heart. Isn't that wonderful? I think a little later on we might even get back to dancing. It just <laughs> seems to me this is something to really get hold of. Let's pray before I, I finish. Yeah, Father, we're about to recognise and pray for these two men and, and their wives, Lord. And we pray that as we come together now that uh, you release an anointing upon them, that we are confident that we've chosen the right men, that they're just recognising what you've already appointed. And we pray, Lord, a blessing upon them. And we pray, Lord, that they will be a blessing to this church. And Lord, we together, as the family of Beacon Church Brixton, Lord, we tell you now that we are going to submit to these men because we, tr we trust them. And we know as we trust them, we're actually trusting you. So we ask that you will bless this time now as we appoint these two elders in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's over to number two.
You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.